I want to tell you a story about a preacher who had a children's sermon one Easter, called all the kids down front, and he asked the kids when they got down there, he said, kids, I want to talk to you today about frogs. What do you think of when you hear frog? Everybody got quiet. And then one little girl raised her hand, and she said, Jesus and the resurrection. And he said, why do you think about that? She said, because it's Easter Sunday and you didn't call us down here to talk about frogs. I didn't call you here together to talk about frogs today. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I know and you know, if you watch TV, you think that Easter is all about food and big meals and candy and Easter eggs and new clothes and a long weekend and maybe even a race. It's Bristol, baby. But that's not what it's all about. Easter's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we come here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've sung about it, and we've prayed about it, and we're going to preach about it, and we're going to celebrate that Jesus came out of the grave. But I'm not ignorant. I know that there are people that listen to that, and they see that, and they scoff at it, and they sneer, and they laugh that we would believe such things. And sometimes they even call us foolish people. But you know what? I'm just one of the crazy people that believes it's true. Somebody got me a t-shirt that says, I'm one of the crazy people. And underneath it, it says Romans 1.16. And that verse says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe and are being saved. The resurrection is a powerful thing. And that's why we come here today to talk about the resurrection. And I want you to think about this question today. And if you'll look on the screen, how can we know that all this talk about the resurrection is real? I mean, how can we know? Is there evidence that helps us come to realize that this is a real thing? You know... Um, It's the thing that us Christians hang our hat on. I mean, if you take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, well, Christianity is just another good story. But if you add the resurrection in, and if that is true and it's real, it changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. And you know, throughout history, uh, there are very few historians would deny the fact that Jesus Christ lived in the first century. That... He died on a Roman cross. That he had a band of followers that went out and preached in his name and they started the church. I mean, we're here, right? So that's evidence that those things happen. But when it comes to the resurrection, there is division. And some people say, well, it didn't really happen. And some say it couldn't happen. Science says it can't happen. But you know what? There was a band of believers that were in position to know that it did happen because they were friends with Jesus. They saw him crucified, they saw him alive, and they began to preach the message. So today I want you to consider the evidence for the resurrection that it is real and it is true. 
Listen, I heard about this physicist. He was a professor at a local college. And every Friday afternoon, he would go into the ice cream shop there on campus, and he would sit at the next to the last seat, and he would turn to the last seat, and he would say, Young lady, can I buy you an ice cream cone? Now, there was nobody sitting on that chair. And this happened every Friday afternoon when school was in session. Finally, one Valentine's Day, he comes in, he sits down on the stool, he turns to the next stool, and he says, Young lady, can I buy you an ice cream cone? Well, the guy that owned the ice cream shop knew this professor was one of those kind of weird types, you know. And finally, he had had enough of this. So he goes to him and he says, Hey, tell me something. I, I may be crazy, but why do you always turn and look at an empty stool and ask a girl that's not there if you can buy her an ice cream cone? Here's what the professor said. According to quantum physics, empty space is never truly empty. Virtual particles come into existence and vanish all the time. You never know when the proper wave function will collapse and a girl might suddenly appear there. Well, the owner rolled his eyebrows and he said, Why don't you ask one of the girls that is already here if you can buy her an ice cream cone? Perhaps she might even say yes. The professor rolled his eyes and said, yeah, like that's really going to happen. You know, people believe all kinds of things, right? But there is ample evidence for us to believe that the resurrection is real. I'd like for you to take your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 17. But listen, I want to tell you something. If Genesis 1-1 in the Bible is true, then everything else in the Bible is possible. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if He did that, if He created all we see, then He can certainly raise somebody from the dead. So let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts is actually the history book of the beginning of the church. And in the book of Acts, uh, the first part of that book Jesus ascends up to heaven and leaves his apostles there, and they begin to establish the church. Now, mostly, right around, in and around Jerusalem and Israel, they established the church. But God wanted it to spread worldwide. And the first half of the book is about Peter and the other apostles and, and how they got the church in and around Jerusalem going. The second half of the book is about a man named Apostle Paul who went out and took the gospel message and established churches throughout Asia and Europe and mostly to the whole Roman Empire in that day, which was the known civilized world in the first century. And on one occasion, this Apostle Paul, he comes to a town called Athens. It's located in Greece, still there today, known for starting the Olympics. Athens was a town of many learned people. There was a big university there. And so Paul goes into Athens, and he begins to preach. Now, I want to set this up for you and give you a little background. We're going to start at verse 16 in Acts 17, but I'm not going to read it all. I just want to explain part of it. Paul's waiting on Silas and Timothy, some of his cohorts, to come and meet with him there in Athens. And he goes into, around through the city, and he sees all these idols. They're statues to all kinds of different gods that people believe in. Some gods that people had just made up. And he comes to this one uh, uh, altar, and it says, to an unknown God. Didn't even know who it was. 
And it says here that Paul happened to preach in the marketplace, and he came across some philosophers there. There were many of them in that town, Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. Now, if I could put this in modern-day terms, these were the Epicureans, were the liberals of the day, and the Stoics were the conservatives of the day. And Paul starts a debate with them, telling them about Jesus. In fact, it says he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they started hearing what he's talking about, people being raised from the dead, and they said, well, let's go to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is a place, it's, it's not a place, it's a council of learned men, professors, if you will, who hear the latest thoughts of the day, talk about the latest religions and all the moral values of people, and there they debate different things of what the people should believe. This council used to rule Athens, but by the first century, all they did was debate and make laws about morality and things like that. So Paul is addressing this crowd, and it says in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So they were intrigued a little bit when Paul started talking about this man Jesus and the resurrection. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul proclaims a new teaching of the good news of Jesus. Now what he's talking about here, the good news, in the Greek language, the word for good news is the word we get our word gospel from. And that's what gospel means. It means good news. Now it doesn't tell us here exactly what he says. It does say he talked about the resurrection. I have a good idea of what he says because the gospel message is pretty simple. It says this, God loves everybody, but everybody has sinned. And sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. And so uh, the penalty for that is death. But God loved us so much, he didn't want to put us all to death because of our sin. So what he did was he sent his own son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, down to earth. He taught a little bit, and then he died on the cross. And he paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross. And by his death, if we believe that our penalty was paid and have faith that God will forgive our sin and restore our relationship with him. That's the basic gospel message. That is good news that we can all have a relationship with God. Golfer Paul Azinger, he's an announcer on the PGA Tour today, but 30 years ago he was a player and he was diagnosed with cancer. Paul Azinger had just won the PGA Championship. He had already won 10 tournament victories. He went on to win two more, but at that time, he was devastated. You know, he was, should have been on top of the world, but he was devastated when he found out he had cancer. Here's what he said. A genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to eventually die anyway, whether from cancer or something else. It's just a question of when. You know what? We're all in that position. We're all going to die of something. 
Azinger would go on to say and write about his cancer and his recovery. And he said this, I've made a lot of money since I've been on the tour, and I've won a lot of tournaments, but the happiness is always temporary. The only way I will ever have true contentment is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I feel I found the answer to the six-foot hole. I know I'll spend eternity with God because I have a promise that as a child of God, He'll help me deal with anything. He offers me contentment regardless of what life brings, even cancer. You see, Azinger became a Christian during that time and put his hope in this Jesus that Paul is preaching about. Now look with me at verse 22. Then Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus in front of all these learned men and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. They were worshiping something they didn't even know. They wanted to make sure they didn't forget one and make some God mad. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. You see what he's saying there? I'm going to tell you about that God, that unknown God, the one that you need to turn to. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From the one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did it so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That was the message that he brought. Paul is proclaiming that all this relates to one God for all people. You know, they worshipped all kinds of gods, and they had a God for everything. But Paul is proclaiming the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. He quotes even two of their famous poets from back in the B.C. days, one who wrote... Um, in Him we live and move and have our being. And another that says we are His offspring. They're talking about this one supreme God, the God of the Bible and the God of the universe. This is the God that made all the nations. This is a God for all people. But you have to believe in Him. You have to believe that He really exists. And so many people don't believe that he really exists. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, since the beginning of time, people have looked to a higher power. People have always felt that there's something. Uh, you know, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our heart. And men have always sought out how they can live forever. There's only one way. 
And that is to come to know the God that Paul is preaching, the God of the Bible. You know, as you go about this world, you meet very few real atheists, people that don't believe in God. You meet a lot of agnostic people who say, well, I don't know if there's a God or not. But you meet very few true atheists. There was uh, one man, a famous man, his name was George Bernard Shaw, and he was one of the world's foremost philosophers. He was an atheist. He lived from 18, around 1850 to 1950. And um, during that time, he was known as the world's most renowned free thinker and liberal philosopher. But near the end of his death, in 1950, he wrote something in one of his last writings because he penned everything that science was the answer to all of man's problems. Here's what he wrote. The science to which I pin my faith is bankrupt. Its councils, which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers. And now they look to me and witness the great tragedy, an atheist who has lost his faith. What he's saying is, I no longer believe that there's no God. As he came to the end of his life, he realized science was not there to solve his problems. And he believed that there was something more that we should seek. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling the people there. We have to believe in this God. Now look with me at verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring... We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or any image made by human design and skill. He said, why are you worshiping something that man made? That can't help you. Those idols can't help you. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. He gave him proof by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. You see, a bunch of people followed the Apostle Paul. They believed his teaching. So Paul reveals proof that this God who raises the dead is real. The proof is in the fact that Jesus Christ stepped out of the grave. Now, there's all kinds of theories about that, I know. I've heard them all. I've argued against all of them. You know, people uh, came and said, well, Jesus didn't really die when they laid him in the tomb. The cool air revived him. Listen, they beat him half to death before they nailed him to a cross. And they nailed him on a cross and let him hang there for six hours in the hot sun and the blood dripping out of his body. He was dead. Educated men took him down and buried him. He was dead. Some people say, well, the body was gone because it was stolen. Somebody stole it and hid it. 
And then some people said, but what about the resurrection? People saw him walking around. Well, they said it was just a look-alike. Listen, those apostles knew Jesus. They had lived with him for three and a half years. They knew every hair in his beard. And they knew that this was, this was Jesus that was risen from the dead to come to them. And look at the proof. You see, God sent Jesus to die and be resurrected. You can read in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would die and that he would live again. I know it seems far-fetched, but listen, what would you expect any less from a God who created the universe? I mean, if he can create a universe, surely he can resurrect somebody from the dead. And think about why he had to die. We really talked about this in the sermon last week, which you can watch online, but it's because he was the sacrifice for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. And God says, Paul said, he's calling everyone to repent. That word repent means to change the mind, or it means to turn. And he's calling us to turn away from all the gods of the world to all the schemes of the world and turn to Him for, um, for eternal life and for the best life here on this earth. And Jesus said, if you repent and you're baptized in His name, you will find eternal life. You will be forgiven. You know, His death on the cross could have been enough to bring forgiveness. But why the resurrection also? Because the resurrection is the proof. And you know, this all shows us how much God loves us, that He was willing to die in our stead. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, again, this is a writing of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Lord. It says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So if we believe and we confess that Jesus is Lord, which means leader of our lives, we will be saved. You know why I think a lot of people have a problem with the resurrection? Because we have never seen one. We, we never really seen somebody step out of a grave after we know that they were dead. Ken Davis is a comedian and a Christian uh, uh, Christian author and uh, he talks about this lady, uh, Donna Roberts who looked out her window one day and there she saw her dog with her neighbor's rabbit in his mouth and he was tossing that rabbit around like they do and she ran out real quickly and grabbed that rabbit and wrestled it out of the dog's mouth and she took it inside and put it in the sink. Her husband said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm cleaning it up. And she got it all cleaned up, and she blow-dried it, and then took a comb and fluffed them all out. And then her neighbor was gone, so she slipped over to the neighbor's back porch where the cage was and set the rabbit up in the cage. Well, about an hour later, she heard the neighbor come home, and within just a few minutes, she heard a scream, a gut-curdling scream, and she goes running out, and her neighbor's standing in the yard, and she said, What's wrong? And the neighbor said, my rabbit, he died a week ago and we buried him in the backyard and he's back. And you know, resurrections have a way of exciting people. Even though that really wasn't a resurrection. 
But the resurrection of Jesus was real. And it excited those apostles. And see, Jesus' followers started the church, and they attest to him. You know, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, those 12 apostles, and he gave them instructions. He taught them about the Scriptures. He gave them final instructions to go make more disciples, to establish his church. He said, you'll be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. And they did that. And they faced ridicule, and they faced jail, and they faced persecution, yet they did not give up. They continued to go. Did you know 11 of those 12 disciples ended up dying for their faith? They were put to death by government officials because they preached the name of Jesus. All but John uh, died for their faith. Now, John died of old age. But there was one man, his name was Saul, and Saul hated Christians. He was a Jewish rabbi, and he was dead set against Christianity. And so he went to persecute Christians as this thing started. And he got letters from the priest. In fact, you can read in, in uh, Acts chapter 7 about him taking an angry mob and Stephen, one of the early preachers and believers in Jesus, preaching to them. And they got so mad, they pelted him with stones until he was dead. And, but in Acts chapter 9, he was on a road to Damascus one of the big cities where there had been a, a large church started and they were thriving up there. And Paul was going with these letters from the Jewish priest to, to bring those people, he thought, to justice and to drag them back to Jerusalem and have them put on trial for blasphemy, for preaching that Jesus is Lord. And on that trip, he was knocked down to the ground and struck blind. And a voice from heaven came and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now the text says that all those traveling with Saul heard what he was saying, heard these voices, and they took Saul to Damascus. And there in Damascus, the Lord spoke to a man named Ananias, and he says to Ananias, I need you to go and meet with this guy, Saul, because he's going to be my instrument to go spread the gospel message. And Ananias says, whoa, not me. That guy's killing Christians. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Jesus said, go and do what I tell you to do. And Ananias did it. And in verse 17, it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You see, Jesus changed Saul's life. So much so that Saul is this same Apostle Paul that was preaching to the Areopagus there in Athens. You understand how much Jesus changed Saul's life? Saul went from a blind man who was wanting to persecute Christians to now he's one of the most foremost uh, preachers of the gospel message. Changed his life. You see, Paul persecuted the church 
but he became a follower. So strong was the impact that Jesus had. He changed his name from Saul to the Apostle Paul. And he went about establishing churches and preaching the gospel. And over the course of about 30 years, he made three or four major journeys and established countless churches. And the man that was once dead set on stamping out Christianity was changed so that he was the biggest proponent of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you something. In and of itself, that is proof that it's real. Because Jesus, alive and resurrected, appeared to the Apostle Paul. I read something this week about a man named Lionel Luck, who, and we have a couple of attorneys here in the church. I guess some of you are here today. You'll appreciate Sir Lionel Luck, who. He won more cases. He's in the Guinness Book of World Record. He won 245 consecutive murder trials. He won them all. And he's got the Guinness Book of World Record. He's probably a pretty sharp guy. Has analytical skills and ability to discern what constitutes reliable and admissible evidence and persuasive evidence. But guess what he did? He took his skills and applied them to the Scriptures and what we know from history about Jesus and the death and the resurrection. And here's what he said. I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves no room for doubt. Here's the most successful attorney in the world saying that the resurrection is a real thing and it is true. You know, the Apostle Paul faced overwhelming obstacles to try to try to spread this message why would he do that if it wasn't real we're going to start a series next week by the way i'll give you a little commercial it's in your bulletin called overcoming obstacles and there's a number of obstacles that we face today that we need to overcome and jesus can help us with that so show up next week but i want you to think about this apostle i mean he was beaten for his faith he was whipped 40 lashes. He was in shipwrecks. He got snake bitten. He, he went through all kinds of stuff. The guy that was trying to stamp out became such a believer that he was willing to do anything to spread this gospel. There's strong proof of what it is. You know, I look across this congregation, and some of you, I know you pretty well, and I know your backstory, and I know that you weren't always good church-sitting, church-going people, me included. And our lives have been changed. Why? Because we came to know the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we've got a video today, another one of our videos that we've been doing this year, of a personal testimony of Dr. John Culp, one of our church members. Listen to what he's got to say. I'm John Culp, and this is my restoration story. When I was a child growing up, I was in church every Sunday. Jesus was just very real to me. I'd talk to him like he was just my friend who was always with me and come to think how that he really was. However, as I grew into adolescence, I began to question my faith. And the biggest part of that is that I'm a pretty scientifically minded guy and I had uh, read and come to accept a lot of the ideas that science and religion are opposed to each other. When I went off to medical school, 
I'd spent a lot of time by myself and I got to be lonely and depressed and I felt like something was missing in my life. I had a pretty good idea what it was. And I'd get out the Bible and try to read it and hope that I'd read something that would just convince me that it was, it was valid. What ended up happening is uh, I saw people in my medical practice, I saw a big difference between people who had a strong faith and people who had none when they're faced with the real trials of life. And you know, I wanted what those people with faith had. I had a patient who had had a bad heart attack and he was left with pretty serious damage to his heart that caused a heart failure. One day, I was at the hospital making rounds. I was in the intensive care unit and I saw the EMS crew wheeling a fellow in and they were coding him. And uh, uh, I recognized that the fellow on the gurney was my patient who had previously had the heart attack. He'd had another one. He wasn't admitted to me, but I took over and got him settled on a ventilator in the ICU, got everything going. He was admitted to a cardiologist. And I went out to talk to his family and uh, learned that they had two beautiful little boys who were about ages three and five. As it went along, I had done an exam on this fellow right after he came in, and clinically it looked like he was brain dead. I went home just feeling absolutely terrible that day after he'd uh, flatlined. And I did something that I hadn't done in many years. I prayed. And I said, God, I don't know if you're even there to hear me, but if you are, I want to ask you to do something. I don't want anything for myself, but could you please heal that man so that he can take care of his family, his children, and you know what? A feeling of, of peace came over me and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning remembering that and I thought something really special happened last night. I wonder what's gonna happen today. And I went up to the hospital to make my rounds and the first place I went was to the ICU to see this band. I looked down at him and I said, poor Mr. So-and-so. All of a sudden his eyes popped wide open staring straight into my eyes. I felt like I had been shocked from my head down to my toes. He was looking at me and trying to talk with that tube in his throat and couldn't, of course. The EEG tech dropped her bottle of electrode gel, ran out of the room yelling for the nurses to come here quickly. They called the other doctors and they were amazed Neither one of them were Christian believers, but they both said, this is a miracle. I can't explain it any other way. And uh, by the next day, they had him moved out of the ICU to the step-down unit, and pretty quickly, he got well enough to go home. One day, I was back at the hospital, and the cardiologist uh, reminded me of that fellow, and he said, I just want to let you know, he's had some congestive heart failure come back and he's just very depressed and despondent. I'm afraid he's not going to make it. And so I said, I'll talk to him. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, Doc, I'm just having such a hard time. I just wish I could go on and die. And I told him, you know what? You really did die about three months ago. But here you are. God brought you back. 
And if he's got you here, he's got a plan for you. And if I were you, I'd try to find out what that is. The next day, the cardiologist said, I don't know what you said to him, but he's just completely turned the corner and I'm gonna send him home today. As I was getting ready to move up here to take my present position, I was rounding in the other hospital in town. Someone said, hey doc, how you doing? I looked up and it was that man, dressed up in his nicest clothes, come to try to cheer up and encourage a friend of his who was uh, in the hospital. It shouldn't have taken a miracle like that to get me to uh, come to faith in Christ, but sometimes, you know, somebody's stubborn as a meal and you just gotta kind of whack them over the head to get their attention. I think that's what God did. And we're sure glad that Dr. John Culp found his faith because he is one of our elders and a prolific teacher of the Bible here in our church and just an all-around great guy. Here's our connection. There's literally living proof of the resurrection through Jesus and the many people who have come to believe. Changed lives. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. And Jesus wants to change your life. And one day, Jesus is coming back. And at that time, all those who believe will be resurrected as he was. We'll have new bodies. And we'll go and spend eternity with God. There's a man named Curtis Pride. He was a baseball player. A few years ago, 1993, was the first time he got a chance to play in the major leagues. He got to, to pinch hit. There were two men on base, and they called Curtis to come in. And first pitch, he hit a line drive, and it sailed out in the left field, and he was able to make it to second, and both of the guys on base made it home, and the Montreal Expos went on to win the game. When he got that hit, the whole stadium in Montreal erupted, and 40,000 people came to, to their feet and began to praise him. But Pride was standing on second base, and he had his head down, and he wasn't looking. And the third base coach called timeout and went to Pride and tapped him on the shoulder and pointed up. You see, the problem is Curtis Pride was 95% deaf. And he could not hear the people cheering for him. And he said, the third base coach, Curtis, tip your hat to the people. And so Curtis tipped his hat, got a big grin on his face, put his hat back on. And after the game, they interviewed him. And they said, Mr. Pride, did you really hear the crowd? And Pride said, I heard them in my heart. You know what? I hope today you hear the message of the resurrection in your heart. Because as Romans 10, 9 said, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That means that one day you too will experience a resurrection to spend eternity with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the miracle of the resurrection. And should we expect any less from a God who created the universe? And Lord, for this, we celebrate today. And we give our lives and our hearts to you. And I pray, Father, today, if anybody in the sound of my voice has never given their life to Jesus, that they might make that decision today. 
And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill them with your presence and your power. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, we pray and praise today. Amen.